Before we dive into this episode of HRD Masterclass, I'd like to take 30 seconds to share the exciting news that we're now seeking sponsors for Season 5 to release in 2024. This is a wonderful opportunity to support the podcast series and also share your message with 3,500 HRD listeners around the world. Sponsorship options cost just $750 and $600 per episode, and for full details, contact D-A-R-R-E-N at allbypodcast.com. Right, let's start the episode. The essence of philosophy is the search for truth. And how do we search for truth? And so when you think about philosophy, you're always searching for answers. You're searching for truth. You're examining questions. Welcome to Human Resource Development Masterclass, the podcast series from the Academy of Human Resource Development, the organization that leads HRD through research. I'm your host, Darren Short, and here in our third season, we're exploring the relationship between HRD and other topics and disciplines, with the help of leading authors, researchers, and scholars. Today, our focus is the relationship between HRD and philosophy. And our guest scholars are Dr. Tsu Fang Chuang of Indiana State University, Dr. Claritha Hughes from the University of Arkansas, and Professor Jim Stewart from Liverpool Business School, all of whom join me for conversations recorded during April and May of 2022. Our episode today is structured into two halves. In the first 30 minutes, we look at what we mean by the term philosophy and its relationship to work the workplace, and HRD. And then, in the second 30 minutes, we dig deeper into that relationship between philosophy and HRD. You can find out all about the questions explored in the episode, the three guest scholars, and also the episode sponsor by visiting allbypodcast.com forward slash philosophy. Talking of sponsorship... Human Resource Development Masterclass is only made possible thanks to the wonderful support of our sponsors, who cover all of the costs associated with the series, and so enable us to release them free of charge to listeners like you. I encourage you to show your thanks by checking them out and letting them know just how much their sponsorship means to you. Today's episode is sponsored by the Board of the Academy of Human Resource Development, which encourages you to attend its 30th annual research conference in the Americas, being held in Minneapolis, Minnesota, March 1st to 4th, 2023. It's the ideal opportunity to meet leading scholars, practitioners, and rising stars, including many of the guests featured in this podcast series, as they report their cutting-edge research and share insights on rethinking the meaning of work. The event is perfect for learning and networking, and AHRD is an inclusive organization that invites all of those who are interested in the field, no matter where they are on their scholarly journey. Mark your calendar for 2023 in Minneapolis. We look forward to seeing you there. For further details, visit the AHRD homepage at ahrd.org. Right, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to our episode on HRD and philosophy. 
Let's start by meeting today's three guest scholars. First of all, I'd like to welcome Tsufang Chuang, who is Associate Professor of Human Resource Development at Indiana State University. Tsufang holds advanced degrees in technology management, human resource development, industrial education, and adult education, and worked in human resource management, training and development, and academic positions at a private institution before joining Indiana State. So welcome, Tsufang. Thank you, dear, for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, my second guest for the episode is Claritha Hughes, who's Professor of Human Resource and Workforce Development at the University of Arkansas. Claritha's research interests include valuing people and technology in the workplace, technology development, diversity intelligence, learning technologies, and ethical and legal issues. She's published numerous articles in peer-reviewed journals and has authored or co-authored 13 books. Welcome, Claritha. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And my third guest for the episode is Jim Stewart, who is Professor of Human Resource Development at Liverpool Business School in the United Kingdom, where his role is to provide mentoring, support and research leadership for colleagues researching HRD and HRM. Jim is former chair and currently president of the University Forum for HRD, and he's the author and co-editor of over 20 books on HRD. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Darren. Very good to be here and good to be with Caritha and Sufa. Okay, well, I'd like to start off our conversation by exploring the term philosophy, which is the focus of the episode. And I thought it's worth us starting with that definitional piece so that listeners are clear on what we mean by the term, ready for when we start digging deeper into its relationship with HRD. So what do we mean then by the term philosophy? I look back at the origin of the term. We started with the ancient Greek. When you look at a definition, the Greek really defined it as a love of wisdom. And when you think about wisdom, it's the combination of knowledge and experience. And our field is about knowledge and experience. So for HRD and philosophy, they're intertwined, even if we don't have a true definition of HRD theory or HRD philosophy, there's always interactions between the two. And philosophy is not about alternative facts. It's about questions and it's more about the questions than the answers, because every time you get an answer, you can come up with a new question. So the essence of philosophy is the search for truth. And how do we search for truth? How has our lived experiences influenced our HRD philosophy or our philosophy as a whole? And so when you think about philosophy, you're always searching for answers. You're searching for truth. You're examining questions because Jaspers, J-S-P-E-R-S, in 1951 in his book, Way to Wisdom, he suggests that there's no escape from philosophy and that the question is only whether philosophy is conscious or not, whether it's good or bad, muddled or clear, and that anyone who rejects philosophy is himself unconsciously practicing a philosophy. So when you look at philosophy, you look at it from different perspective of how we see the world, which is ontology, how we come to know and think about the world, epistemology, 
and how we should act in theorizing, researching about, and practicing in our world, which is axiology. So the definition of philosophy is ever evolving because we could ask the question, what is a philosophy? Continuously and still not ever answer that particular question. But in our field, we have begun to look at ways to answer that question. I think this is a very, very interesting question. Um, we talk about philosophy. We do research involving philosophy, but we never really talk about what is the philosophy. And so hearing that question stopped me to thinking, yeah, why I, why I had a philosophy in my research. So I start to look back and, and I realized that to me, philosophy help us to think. And ever since my research involved philosophy, um, such as Confucius philosophy and analytical philosophy, I started to view and value things differently. So in my case, I can better explain different perspectives and behaviors as well as dealing with the conflicts between uh, the Easterners and Westerners like in a learning setting. Philosophy is, to me, I feel like this is like a set of accepted and shared beliefs or views about life. Philosophy is foundational to learning and knowledge as Sufang suggested. And in the field of HRD is predicated on learning and knowledge, which influences our field, our studies of training and development, career development and org development. And within those three pillars, we have the interactions among people. And everyone, as Sufang suggested, has a philosophy or philosophical thoughts and questions. And then in their search for truth and understanding, how we bring new people and new thoughts into the field expands our understanding of philosophy. Because as we stated, everyone has one. And it's based upon numerous theories and lived experiences that takes us back to the wisdom of what they've learned and how they bring it into our field. And so from that perspective, I think learning that requires research, reading, writing, and discussion among all HRD peoples in every aspect from students, faculty, professionals, administrators is vital to us understanding philosophy in the context of HRD. Yeah, can I just um, offer a definition, which I think I might be wrong, is from uh, a guy called Eric Tang, who wrote a book on the uh, philosophy of management. And that says the aim of philosophical inquiry is to develop a more adequate understanding of the world for the purposes of developing more adequate practices in the world. So I think this, this focus in the definitions and discussions of what is philosophy from Clarita and uh, Sufan, emphasizing practice and practices in the world is uh, a kind of the essence of philosophy. And the other thing that was going through my mind was um, a debate academics often have about theorizing. And that debate often kind of starts from the point that it's the job of academics to theorize. Whereas my position is that every human being uh, theorizes probably every day of their lives. And the theorizing that they do certainly um, managers and professionals like HRD practitioners in organizations 
are operating uh, on their own theories and their theories are informed by their own philosophical positions, whether they are aware of it or not. So philosophy is highly practical, in my view. It's, uh, it's about informing how we, uh, how we are and how we behave in the world and therefore is central to human resource development, which is all about how we are and how we behave in the world. It makes me feel as if, therefore, um, philosophy has a, an impact on everything that's around us, including what's around us at, at work. And so, of course, ultimately, I'm looking to explore the relationship between philosophy and HRD. But I'm wondering if a half step to that is to first consider the relationship between philosophy and work and, and the workplace. So, so how do you see the relationship between those? One of the things about philosophy and what I said earlier about theorizing is that philosophy is highly influential in influencing the sciences, including social science. And work is a focus of uh, thinking and research and writing uh, within the social sciences. And I think we tend to think about work in relation to employment, but we forget that we might say something like, I should be doing some work on the garden, or my partner and I share the housework, and therefore work is not necessarily associated with employment. And work occurs whenever human beings undertake some kind of effort in order to produce an outcome, which kind of relates to the next question, which is, what is a workplace? The obvious answer would be wherever work occurs is a workplace, including the home. You can also kind of generalise about the nature of organisations based on different philosophies of work and of employment. For example, if you take capitalism as a philosophy, then that supports the notion of employment, which is based on the notion of individuals selling their, according to Marxist philosophy, selling their labour power uh, in exchange for, for wages. But if you look at alternative kinds of organisations, something like cooperatives, they still have uh, employment relationships, but uh, the basis of those is, is different. Maybe Sue Fung can help with that. <laughs> oh, definitely. Let me start with um, the history of philosophy. So taking some example, traditional Confucius thought has a stronger emphasis on one's role in a hierarchical structure and loyalty to the company. And that's why when we observe workers in an Asian cultural setting, their behaviors and their reaction or uh, their thought process tend to be different from the Westerners. And if we take um, the question tradition, for example, the way that the work is like a work is a calling and it involves God's will. So culture definitely plays a part when we talk about the philosophy here. It could be consciously, it could be unconsciously. I did not realize that I, I was impacted by this philosophy. I was born and raised in Taiwan. And um, at that time, Confucius philosophy, not just embedded in our daily life from the parents, from the old generation to the younger generation, but also in our education system. We all have to learn what Confucius thought, and we all have to learn about his practice. And there's tons of information about what he say, uh, 
how you should be a good human being, how you should practice in your daily life. And I did not realize how much that I was impacted by that and how much that the way I communicate, the way I think and process or how like value certain things, they're all impacted by the Confucius philosophy. And I did not realize that until I start doing research um, as I learn more about the philosophy as I now live in different culture and experience different cultural values and the cultural shocks. And I start to realize that how this impact me and the people I know uh, in the, I call it the Confucius influencer societies um, in many different ways. Su Fang kind of highlights an important point there, which is that less you think hard about your life and what surrounds you, you kind of just take for granted the, um, the philosophy, unstated, un, unarticulated, that has influenced your education and your socialization and growing up. So, for example, in Western economies in Europe and the US, uh, capitalism is taken for granted. Capitalism is thought to be the only way of living, the only way of doing things. And in the old Soviet Union, and probably still in China, uh, communism is the assumed only way of doing things. And in Taiwan, uh, as Sufang was saying, uh, Confucianism as a philosophy is the taken for granted, the assumed only way of doing things. And so philosophy is very important to get people to think harder about the things they take for granted. And the question that came to my mind was, how has your lived experiences influenced your HRD philosophy? And when Su Fang was talking about how her lived experiences in her education system, and Jim Stewart was talking about how capitalism in America influences your thoughts, when you think about work and the time involved in work, you have people who may have been working in childhood you know, child labor laws and all of that. And all of those experiences come into play when they think about what they, how they work today. And a lot of people think work begins at 18, but for some people it may have begin, began at five or six years old. And so the way they value work and look at work is totally different than the way people inside um, organizations view work. And as Jim suggested, if you're working at home all the time and having to have a job, your views shift. And you, when you look at HRD from a career development perspective, if I've already worked from age five to 18, I don't want to spend the rest of my life working. And so career development for me would be totally different from somebody who started work at 18 and wants to have a career and so they would look at career development a little bit differently. And so I think all of our lived experiences influence how we look at HRD. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a very important point. And uh, if we disassociate work from employment and understand work as physical or mental effort, then a good current example uh, of interest to HRD researchers and uh, practitioners is the unpaid domestic and care work that happens in the home, predominantly done by women. And that has impact on women's education, on their employment and on their careers. So philosophy might raise the, uh, might raise the question, 
is it ethical that the burden of work in the home falls unequally on, on women? And that's of interest, I think, even more to HRD because of the, uh, the consequences of the pandemic, which kind of emphasised the burden that women have to, have to bear in relation to work carried out in the home and the consequences for how we can, as HRD researchers and HRD professionals, uh, do something about that and uh, work to, towards supporting women's opportunities and ability to pursue a career. Maybe this is an opportunity then to start focusing in even more into the HRD piece of it. I think that was a really interesting conversation about the relationship between philosophy and work and the workplace. Um, and so, so I'm interested in, in what you see, therefore, as the connection between philosophy and HRD, and, and in particular, how, how they influence each other. I really like um, Carissa mentioned about the HRD philosophy. philosophy. I like the term. It's very interesting. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I kind of uh, want to say this as my next research topic. Um, so different fields or uh, country, they'll have different philosophies. Uh, so I heard about the political philosophy, educational philosophy, philosophy of life. Now the HRD philosophy, I think we could use and learn from all the philosophy to help to understand better about people. Like sometimes in HRD that we will wonder why this individual respond that way, why this individual behave that way. Knowing all the different philosophy can enhance our ability to understand a phenomenon. So research on the impact of cultural values, such as like continental philosophy, Confucius philosophy, and work or job satisfaction, learning, leadership, teamwork, et cetera, are a great example of a, a strong connection that between the philosophy and HRD. So what I'm saying is, I think as HRD professionals that we could also think about what we could benefit from the available philosophies. Well, I, I was kind of thinking of the distinction between philosophies and doing philosophy and philosophizing. Philosophizing, I guess, uh, is the process by which we, uh, we come to have a variety of philosophies uh, but I think you know philosophizing is is more important in the sense of asking the fundamental question so a fundamental question is for me is you know, what is the purpose of HRD what are we about what are we there to do what are we trying to achieve if you think about the purpose what is the purpose of human resource development is it to, to support um, achieving organizational goals which in the corporate private sector is primarily making profits or does it have some other purpose or should it have some other purpose so this is when we get into the axiology that uh said the morality and the ethics of human resource development a lot of the conversation we're having is what i thought about years ago when i wrote my book valuing people and technology in the workplace and when you thought about even talking about humans and technology at the same time, HRD and training professionals did not want to have that discussion. And, you know, 
when I came up with perspectives, Darren, I, I wasn't thinking about it from a philosophical perspective, but that's exactly what it is. When we had our first conversation, I looked at it and I said, every organization has a cultural, behavioral, or cognitive perspective, but I'm going to include the word philosophical perspective because that's exactly what I was looking at at the time, but couldn't put my finger on it. It's not the culture of the organization. They have cultures within that, but if you have organizations such as accounting firm and educational institution, they're more cognitive based. You have companies such as IBM that are more behavioral based. Then you have the Googles and the SAS and all of those organizations, Apple, that operate more from a cultural perspective of how they treat their employees. And so as I update the Banyan People as Technology book, I'm, I'm going to include that philosophy into those three perspectives. And that governs pretty much how those organizations operate. And if you bring um, someone with a cultural perspective into a cognitive organization, they may mesh better than bringing an IBM behavioral thought process person into an educational institution. And that I think that's the shift that you're seeing when you bring people into education who wants to have the business mindset in as opposed to the education cognitive mindset where time to do research is lessened, time to think about concepts and constructs and new theories and this publish a parish speed at which you're trying to do the work is governed by a behavioral perspective as opposed to a cognitive um, philosophy. And so I think as we work together as HRD scholars and professionals, we need to really, really examine how we truly value the work that we do and the people that we're working with and understand from them, as Sufang says, communicate with them and how it has an impact on diversity. And you know, my diversity intelligence construct came out of this value in people and technology book and model because I was saying, how do I value each individual person? And I couldn't value each individual person if I did not see them, if I marginalized Sufang because she was from Taiwan. Jim Stewart because of his location in the UK. How do I truly value each individual that works within my organization? It cannot be accomplished if we have totally different moral and ethical viewpoints towards differences and why people do what they do. And these philosophies play a role in that as well. I think one of the fundamental questions for me about HRD is what is the purpose of HRD? And so I'm interested in your thought, given the conversation you've just been having, I'm interested in your thoughts about how philosophy helps us view or answer that question. How does philosophy help us answer the question of what is the purpose of HRD? It's a very good question, uh, Darren. And I think um, what Fan was uh, saying earlier, kind of, uh, can be helpful in the sense of different philosophies might lead us towards uh, different answers. For example, capitalism would, I think, lead to the answer of something like the purpose of HRD is to uh, develop the employee's 
and the organisation in order to better, more efficiently, more effectively meet its uh, its goals and its object objectives, which within capitalism are usually expressed in uh, in economic terms and financial terms to do with um, growth of uh, net worth and growth of uh, profits, etc. But a different philosophy, I don't know, but maybe Confucianism, for, for example, might lead us to a, a different um, answer to the question of what is the purpose of human resource development? So the study of philosophies can enhance our abilities to reason, think critically, and solve problems. Based on my research findings, a strong emphasis on humanity in Confucius philosophy may be used to support HR initiative for OD and CD during the transition process of Industrial 4.0 or the age of AI. And so that human can better coexist with the robot or AI if humanity is valued and practiced. Um, but yeah, I want to remind that um, everyone that despite the, to take the benefit from available philosophies, we should not forget to review the historical, cultural, and political background of the philosophies for a true understanding. Um, I'm saying that because for example, Confucius philosophy, um, it was, it has been around for like over 2,500 years. And it is a long tradition uh, philosophy that has spread its roots deeply in many uh, Far East Asian countries, such as China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam. And it has a great emphasis at the social harmony, social stability, social order, moral standards, uh, goodwill, human being, and cultivate in the uh, spirituality. And at that time, the 2000 years ago, 2500 years ago, that complete different historical background. Um, so we kind of have to keep that in mind when we want to adopt or learn from a philosophy and use that to help us to address the issue that we are facing. I would like to say that, you know, I think that HRD research is part of the problem because it seems to trend so much towards leadership. If you look at all of the trends using the ATD yearly industry report, employee training gets very, very little focus. And HRD has seldom, if ever, done a lot of work on technology and work in the literature. Now that AI has evolved, you're seeing some work in HRD literature related to it, but I think we are behind the trends, and we're behind the times on that level of research. And so when you look at Confucius um, philosophy, the Greek philosophers, the history of manifest destiny in this world, which is where I began my work on diversity intelligence, because without history, none of our work is valid. And we're constantly going into vicious cycles because we don't know the history and we don't um, keep up with the trends. We're on the fourth industrial revolution right now, but a lot of students don't even know the first industrial revolution. So we have to, as a society of human resource development, truly look at all aspects of work 
and how we look at employment. And when I teach it, I make sure I go have the students do the history and understand the history and the work so that they can have a better understanding of why we are a field. Why do we exist? Not just what our purpose is, but why do we even exist? If we can remain true to who we are and what our purpose is, I think we'll be successful in philosophy. Having a philosophy of HRD will help us, you know, shape that. Yeah, I think um, two very important points have been raised there. One by um, uh, Sue Fan in relation to cultures and societal cultures and how 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 they vary and influence and uh, and shape things and. Uh, from Claretha, the uh, the importance of um, historical development and how that has and continues to uh, to shape things and shape understandings and shape philosophies. So I think those two things, the um, societal cultures and uh, historical development, are really important in understanding uh, where we are and how we got here, and therefore how we how we might um, get to where we want to be in relation to answering the fun- fundamental questions about anything and therefore fundamental questions about human resource development so it might have had a purpose in the uh, in the last century uh, it might have had a purpose in the century before that uh, different to what its purpose is now and different to what its purpose um, could and should be in the future We'll be back in a moment with more from Tufang, Claritha and Jim as we dig into the relationship between HRD and philosophy. First though, here's an important reminder that this episode is brought to you thanks to the wonderful sponsorship support of the Board of the Academy of Human Resource Development, which encourages you to consider joining and becoming a member. AHRD is a professional home, a place to learn, teach and share a space to research, publish and present, a network of scholars, teachers, researchers and practitioners to connect and to apply the art and science of human resource development to change organisations and transform the world through human flourishing. With almost 500 members, AHRD is a global organisation made up of, governed by and created for the human resource development scholarly community of academics and reflective practitioners. Membership includes online access to four peer-reviewed world-class journals, two decades of conference proceedings with cutting-edge research and thought leadership, and much more. To learn all about becoming a member of AHRD, visit the Member Central page at ahrd.org. Right, let's return to our discussion for the second half of the episode. Welcome back to our episode on HRD and philosophy, where I'm joined by Tzu Fang Chuang of Indiana State University, by Claritha Hughes of the University of Arkansas, and by Jim Stewart of Liverpool Business School. Here in the final part of the episode, I'm thinking it'd be interesting to continue our discussion by exploring maybe three themes that came out from the previous part. So maybe current philosophies and their uses, the concept of an HRD philosophy, and also the implications of our discussion for individuals who are listening to the episode. So to get us going, how about we start off with current philosophies? 
And in particular, what do you see as the current philosophies that are often informing the work of HRD professionals and academics? There are three philosophies of HRD currently being influential and informing both research and practice within the subject. Each of these are derived really from the um, differing answers to the question, what is the purpose of HRD? And the first of those is what's called generally the performance philosophy. And in the performance philosophy, the purpose of HRD is to improve organisational and, in relation to national HRD, uh, country performance. And the effectiveness of those improvements are measured by economic and financial indicators. For instance, at the country level, that would be gross domestic product. At organisation level, it might be increases in profits or return on investment. The second one is what's labelled the learning philosophy. And here, the purpose of HRD is to promote and facilitate the development of individuals. And that development is kind of focused on personal growth, improving life chances, and supporting self-actualization. Measures used to assess the effectiveness of HRD in this philosophy are to do with the impact of HRD practices and the benefits for individuals' personal growth. The third current philosophy, which is the most recent, I think, is referred to as critical human resource development. And the purpose of HRD here is to question and challenge existing power structures in social relations, including those operating in organisations. And the kind of end purpose of that is to contribute to and facilitate increased equality and diversity in organisations and inclusion for marginalised groups in both organisations and in society. The effectiveness of the critical HRD philosophy is measured through changes in the power relations within society and within organisations. Now, these three philosophies are each influenced by different answers to the basic philosophical questions mentioned by uh, Claritha earlier in the discussion. What is the nature of reality, which is the concern of ontology? What is the nature of knowledge and knowing, which is the concern of epistemology? And what is of value and valuable and valued, which is the concern of axiology? Each of the HRD philosophies are within different, uh, what shall we say, streams of philosophy uh, in relation to those three questions. So for the performance philosophy, the ontology is realism, the epistemology is positivism, and the axiology is utilitarianism. For the learning philosophy, the ontology is idealist, the epistemology is interpretivism, and the axiology is deontology which is basically a rules-based value system. And for critical HRD, the ontology is critical realism, the epistemology is pragmatism, and the axiology, we can say, is uh, virtue, virtue ethics. And so there are connections between what we can describe as three current HRD philosophies and answers, different answers to the basic questions that philosophers and philosophy of struggled with for centuries and still struggle with now. Those basic questions about what is the nature of reality, what is the nature of knowledge, and what is of value and valuable. I wonder if it's helpful to explore how current HRD philosophies and maybe how philosophy more generally could help HRD in addressing a specific challenge. For example, we could consider the emergence of the Great Resignation. When you think about that concept, how could philosophy help 
HRD to react to that phenomenon? When I was listening to Jim, what I thought about was how capitalist society, we talk about it a lot, and how it influences the morale of the employees. In HRD, we want to talk about it as engagement, but you can't separate the two. And the economic impact on employee morale is huge. And I think that contributed to the great resignation. I think the fact that HRD was so far behind with technology when the great resignation began due to the pandemic, HRD wasn't quick enough to train the people on using technology when they were displaced and sent home to work. And then they weren't equipped to handle the morale issues that came up when it became a debate about an essential worker versus a non-essential worker. And a lot of the non-essential workers' morale was depleted because they didn't feel like they had a place. And because they didn't have a place in the organization and their needs at the moment, their work is valuable, but it wasn't valuable in the context of the need that had to be met in order for society to survive during the pandemic and for organizations to provide the needs of society during the pandemic. And I think America for years had been using technology to really shatter the middle class. We outsourced so much of our uh, manufacturing in the name of cheap labor overseas versus being able to develop workers here and pay them more. And so all of this came to a head when you needed resources that you couldn't get from overseas, but you didn't have the workplace in place or the technology in place to produce it here. So HRD professionals were left scrambling and trying to meet the needs of the organization, of the society, of their own, because as an HRD professional, you have to know it to be able to teach it. So if you don't have the technological skills to help train faculty to teach online, to help teachers teach online, to learn Zoom, to learn WebEx, to learn all of these different technological skills virtually overnight, HRD professionals were trying to train people from their homes inside the person's home. And without a philosophy of HRD that could really structure where change is supposed to reside, where technology resides, where learning and performance resides, where value of each individual worker resides. We don't really have that structure. What Jim outlined earlier will help us, I think, put together a, a stronger uh, model of where HRD philosophy resides. But without that, I don't think we could have helped the great resignation. We're shaped by society versus us helping to shape society because we, society's values on life and the history of healthcare influenced a lot of the decisions with regards to the great resignation. Money became more valuable than people. Money became more valuable than people's health in their minds. The history, especially for back vaccinations of African-Americans with regards to the Tuskegee experiment is still hindering them even taking the vaccine. 
And the reason I bring up the Tuskegee experiment is that is why we have institutional review boards in America. All of us in our research has to get IRB approval. And IRB came out of the Tuskegee experiment and we're still suffering the effects of it in um, minority communities because they don't trust the government enough to take a vaccine. And so I think a lot of HRD philosophy cannot exist without understanding society itself and the history as we discussed previously. When you take a look at a concept of like the great resignation, is it possible for you to look at that, say, through a performance philosophy lens and then also to look at it, say, through a developmental philosophy lens and to and to see the concept of the great resignation differently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, you would end up with different understandings and explanations for the great resignation, depending on which philosophical point of view you started from. So from the performance perspective, it's a problem to the extent that it creates problems for organisations to continue to function and to continue to uh, produce their goods and services and continue to make profits. Whereas maybe from a critical HRD perspective, it's not a problem, it's the opposite of a problem. It's something to celebrate, something to uh, welcome, something to cheer, because individuals are exercising their power uh, to decide where they work and who they work for. And so how you see the great resignation, how you understand it, depends on which philosophical stance that you uh, that you start from. During the whole episode, multiple philosophies have been referenced. And I think at a number of times, they've also dripped in maybe the concept of there being an HRD philosophy, as if there could be potentially a single HRD philosophy at some point. I don't know whether that could happen, but if it could, what, what, what would that look like? And, and, and how would a philosophy of HRD be developed? To begin with, first, we have to understand that each philosophy might serve different purpose and each individual might view each philosophy differently. And so maybe we could start from the very broader perspective, start with what's what a philosophy could do for us. So like today, HRD professionals are taking more responsibilities, especially after the pandemic. And HRD philosophies that in place could really provide some guidance and influence how the HRD professionals interpret and, and practice the HRD interventions within the organizations. So specifically, in my view, I feel like that the HRD philosophies should provide some central values in advancing the HRD functions and direct the HRD scholars or and practitioners to either form ideas or to analyze the concepts, definitions, and, and problems. So as the pandemic, let's go back to, since we mentioned about that before, as the pandemic has changed people's lives and business operation and, and, and forced the organizations to adopt different ways of, of working, then um, the changes that brought to, um, that have brought various challenges to management and HRD professionals to find new ways to work productively. And so therefore, having a strong HRD philosophy in place helps to ensure the HRD effectiveness and, and facilitate the 
uh, professionals to address the labor structure change and um, identify new meaning of work, assess management, uh, developing leadership skills that necessary to deal with the crisis or, or and develop uh, strategic planning for continuous development. Therefore, a philosophy of HRD should be created and continually viewed update as our uh, work environment and structure change. So in that line, and fundamentally, a philosophy of HRD could include core values, which detect how HRD should be functioned and, and how HRD professionals should behave. Alignment, the other uh, component I feel should be um, in there is uh, to ensure that the values and practice support organizational mission and goals. And so a thorough understanding of organizational values, goals, and culture is needed. Uh, relevance, the other one that uh, I feel it should, it's a critical that demonstrates that the philosophy is socially and culturally relevant to HR, the daily practices and considers what, uh, the governance and code of ethics in the organization. And a mindset, the other one, which advocates uh, embracing challenges such as uh, advanced technology, job changes, uh, work structure, new meaning of work, et cetera, as opportunities. And so I think that these are critical components as we look at what, sh- uh, what are needed, uh, how, we, how we could develop a philosophy of HRD to ensure everyone is on the same page and uh, promote a value that we are trying to, to practice in the workplace. I don't think... I don't think there'll ever be a grand philosophy of HRD only because you got humans and everybody has a mind. And that's why you have doctor philosophy degrees across all different disciplines because everybody's thinking, at least you're supposed to be thinking as academics, you're thinking and you're studying and new things are emerging. So Change is a constant. It's continuous questioning. So I don't think that there'll ever be one grand philosophy of HRD or one theory of HRD, but I think um, there needs to be a constant communication among HRD professionals and scholars and practitioners because without it, we tend to go into silos and we leave people out or we leave um, different societies out. For example, our organization, we have a European division. We're looking at the Asian. We're exploring Africa. You know, without those type of communications, I don't think that we can be effective worldwide. So I think we should have talks and discussions around it, but I don't think we ever have just one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of the basic point of this of this um, podcast in a sense that, you know, the, the purpose and the practice of philosophy is to pause and seek to answer questions, full stop, all the time. Um, and 
if there's one thing that I would want uh, listeners to the podcast to get from uh, what we've been talking about is that I want them to en engage themselves and with others that continuous questioning and seeking answers for themselves and for the and for the profession. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think that we were ever able to come up with a universal agreed um, HRD philosophy, just like HRD definition. We still do not have an HRD definition that is universally agreed. And um, so there are all different kind of version of HRD de uh, definition. And there are even some other uh, different uh, definitions of international HRD. We cannot have, and I don't think just one single universal agreed HRD philosophy will work, but I was uh, think that it's still a good idea. It is still worth it to continue the conversation and dialogue about HRD's philosophy, because if HRD philosophies could be developed, then the the work values and paradigms of HRD could be better understood by others, uh, even as well as for our own professionals. People still have some misunderstanding about what HRD is, and people often confuse the difference between HRD, HR, and, and other, sometimes other discipline, related discipline as well. Now, at several points in the, in the conversation, you, you've each mentioned how philosophies can be operating consciously, or in many cases, uh, operating like outside of our awareness. And so it, it, it feels as if there's a benefit to surface those philosophies and then once they're surfaced to challenge them. But, but I'm wondering, like, in terms of advice to listeners, what would your advice be on how someone could surface the philosophies that could be driving their behaviors and therefore driving their approaches to HRD? We tend to focus on what we know, and often we don't want to look any further than what we know. So for me, what I do for my students is I ask them the question, and it is, it's not in the philosophy class or anything like that. I just ask them to please explain how they personally go beyond what they currently know and understand to learn something new. And once you answer that question, I ask them, how do you then teach that to someone else? I teach working adults, so I get a lot of people who are already set in their beliefs. And when I see them set in those beliefs, then I start asking these type of philosophical questions of how do you go beyond what you know? How do you take what you've learned about how you go beyond what you know and teach it to someone else? And some of the answers are just amazing of, well, I question things and I question things over and over. And so it, it, they start philosophizing like Jim talked about. And you don't expect that to that degree, but that's the result I get when I start asking them to think beyond what they currently know. I'm just being uh, reminded of um, Roger Ebbs' formula from uh, a very long time ago when he was formulating actual learning, which is L equals P plus Q. L being learning, P being program knowledge, and Q being questioning. 
And so, as Carith has just kind of highlighted, questioning is, uh, is, is essential. You've got to pose questions and seek answers to them that will also require taking action and learning from the, um, learning from the action. And again, taking from Reg Evans, doing that in the, um, in the company of what he called their comrades in adversity. So doing that in the, uh, in the context of engaging with fellow professionals. Another piece of advice might be that you can, you can find codes of practice, ethical codes of practice, which might be the P in the, uh, in the formula, the program, program knowledge. And uh, one example would be the Academy of HRD have a, a code of ethical practice. And those are useful starting points if you want to uh, behave in an ethically uh, appropriate manner as a professional. But the only starting points then you've got to get on with the other parts of the um, of the equation, which is the questioning. It takes time to learn who you are, what your beliefs are, what you think, and it also takes time and an humble spirit to be able to listen to people question what you believe and not just respond because they question what you believe. Believe but to do that self-actualization and self-reflection and use metacognition to really think about what you're teaching as an HRD professional. Why are you teaching it? How are you teaching it? Does it really matter from a relevance perspective as Su Fang said earlier, where does the value of it reside? Does it reside within you or does it reside within society or your organization or are you trying to help someone else? And so it takes a lot of time to do that. And I think we tend to want to just respond immediately. And, and with social media and the pace at which information is coming out, we are oftentimes not as deliberate as we can be about discussing these topics and, and getting an understanding. So the question I read, I put it on the final exam. So the students have had an entire semester to really think about what they know and how they know it. And so I think we need to really value time more and in, in the learning and performance and the critical HRD philosophies that Jim talked about. Reacting to what Claritha just said there about social media, it, um, it, it makes me think about how so many of us are increasingly in our little bubbles where we're surrounded by people and points of view that are similar to our own. And so also reflecting to what Jim was saying around the benefits of, of, doing, of, of questioning within groups, it, it sounds as if there's some merit to making sure when you're doing that questioning, you're doing it with people who potentially see things differently to yourself. So you can actually understand how, how different philosophies could be operating and, and coming up with potentially different outcomes. Is, is that something you'd recommend, like the idea of getting deliberately seeking out people who could be viewing things differently? I think more diverse groups are likely to be much more productive, much more um, stimulating, much more thought-provoking. 
for everyone who's a member of uh, a diverse group. So yeah, I, I would I would make that recommendation. I I would make it from the perspective of inside organization. You have so much groupthink. People think the same, and so without um, to be able to break up the groupthink, you have to have different perspectives. And you have to discuss it from a different perspective. For example, if I'm teaching a technology resources class, I'm not teaching them the technology, how to use the technology. I'm teaching them what goes inside the technology. Because when you go into an organization, they've, they have bought the software and the technology that they want their organization to use. So you can't often go in and say, take that technology out and use the one I brought with me you have to understand how to navigate within what's already in existence in different ways. And so I think you have to talk and discuss with people that are different, with organizations that are different, with different cultures and beliefs, because without that, you're just in a group think mentality and there's no growth. I think the pandemic forced disruption that forced growth that forced us to rethink how we philosophize about things. Because prior you were just thinking, oh, technology, everybody don't really need it. And you had the great divide where certain groups didn't have access to technology. Pandemic hits, everybody needs technology. So now you throw in every type of resource like Zoom. Most people didn't know Zoom existed until the pandemic hit. You had kids with mobile um, internet resources in places where there was no broadband. So all of this different technology just came flooding out of the background to help society and, and people had no clue. So without this diverse thought and, and diverse conversations, we don't know what's in the world. Well, I like wrapping up episodes with a sort of call to action. And so reflecting then on, on the conversation for the last few minutes, I, I'm wondering if the right call to action is to ask the question, how can somebody who's listening get better at philosophizing? And so would somebody be willing to wrap up the episode with a, a final thought on that? I think with all the ideas and and the um, thoughts that we just discussed in this episode. And I think what I'm getting at is we can engage um, an ongoing dialogue on core beliefs of HRD philosophy to shape question and learn from different aspects would be the great start. Um, just like Clarita mentioned, um, having a different perspective and getting different ideas and having a lot of conversation can really help and contribute. And, and, and most importantly, I think it's critical to have a growth mindset to develop a system that links human strategies and performance for a more dynamic talent and work model in the workplace. So if we could have um, like with a strong HRD philosophy in place that it may um, ensure the effectiveness of HRD, enhance our capacities to solve problems and deal with uncertainty in workplace, 
may as well promote a strong sense of belonging that beats HRD in the big picture, as well as shape a, a workplace culture that promotes employees' um, productivity and engagement in the organization. Excellent. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time for today, but I wanted to say a big thank you to all three guests for being at the in the episode. I've really enjoyed our conversation about HRD and philosophy. Thank you so much, Sue Fang, Claritha, and Jim. Thank you for the invitation, Dor. It's been very uh, it's been very thought provoking for for me as well. Thank you. This is, has been great. Thank you all. I learned a lot from each one of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was wonderful spending time with Su Fang Truong, Claritha Hughes, and Jim Stewart. If you enjoyed this episode, check out all of our others. There were 22 episodes in the first two seasons, and we're releasing a further 11 here in the third. Between them, they provide access to conversations with over 75 leading HRD scholars from around the world. New episodes release weekly. To learn more about the series, check out hrdmasterclass.com. And to learn about the Academy of Human Resource Development, check out ahrd.org. By becoming a member, you can access extra bonus materials. I'm looking forward to being with you in our next episode when we're exploring the relationship between HRD and spirituality. With the help of Judy Neal of the Global Consciousness Institute, Julia Stolberg Walker of the George Washington University, and Suki Tai of the Aitia Institute. Until then, this is Darren Short signing off from the Human Resource Development Masterclass. Human Resource Development Masterclass podcast is brought to you by the Academy of Human Resource Development and is a production of allbypodcast.com.